לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. As always, my good friends, first of all, Rabbi Barry Chesler celebrating his 65th birthday. He celebrated 65. Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshay Chesed in New York City, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky. I was going to say, we, we had such a great party with Rabbi Chesler uh, last Sunday. You know, t- these days, how do you have a party by everybody kind of dialing up their Zoom, going online. Well, it was surprisingly effective, you know, and I was very impressed that Carol got people from all sorts of all pieces of my life and some of whom I haven't been in touch with for many years. So it was really great. And they're all fans of Parsha Talk. Well, how can you not be? And we welcome our fans. We welcome many, many viewers. And we want to remind everyone that you can email us, some of you have already, at ParshaTalk, that's P-A-R-S-H-A talk at gmail.com. Rabbi Kalmanowski moderates that, uh, that, the, the email, but uh, we've gotten some lovely emails from, from people in asking questions about this Parsha, some that we get to, some that we don't get to, that we hope to you know, respond to individually. But we have a wonderful Parsha, Vayera. Vayera is familiar to us because we already read uh, a good two chapters of Vayera uh, a few weeks ago at Rosh Hashanah. So we're not going to go into those stories. The, later on in the Parsha, we have the birth of Isaac, the banishment of Hagar and Ishmael. That's the first day reading of, of Rosh Hashanah, chapter 21. And then the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, uh, which is chapter 22, which, uh, let's face it, even... 20, 20 minutes on in a, in a conversation like this would never exhaust the possibilities of interpretation of the Akita. So we're going to leave that. And since uh, we, we dealt with that on Rosh Hashanah, we want to talk about some other parshiot, just to have a synopsis. First of all, Abraham is recovering from his circumcision. He's visited by three malachim, three guests. There's a great moment of hospitality at the beginning of the parsha. And Abraham feeds them. We learn a lot from that first scene. But then we get to, uh, I think, a scene that we don't talk enough about. And here I'm going to turn to my good friend, Rabbi Barry Chesser, to synopsize for us and then to go into detail the story of, first, the visit of the, that is made to uh, uh, Abraham or the conversation uh, between Abraham and God, and then the story of the destruction of Sodom and Amorah. So to set the scene, the very beginning of the Parsha, the three Malachim come to visit Abraham. There's a rabbinic tradition that every Malach has exactly one job. And the first job is to announce the birth. And then we have to account for the next two Malachim. 
And one of them is going to destroy Sodom, and the third one is going to save Lot and his family. So the scene is this. The angels leave after they deliver the message, the Sorotovot, the good news about the birth of Isaac. And Abraham follows them, and then he stops to have a conversation with God. And this conversation, I think, is, in my opinion, largely misunderstood. We look at it as this great conversation where Abraham is arguing on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah and the righteous people that may live there as if he's going to change God's mind. But in fact, God tells Abraham at the very beginning, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And after this great conversation, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. So the story really is about the education of Abraham. And we have to pay more attention to why God is telling Abraham in the first place that he's destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. So the problem for God is that God needs Abraham to understand that he is a just God, that he is not a capricious God, which is the way that we might describe the gods that we know from the pagan world, but that God, in fact, is a God of justice. And so the scene that we have to imagine is Abraham getting up one morning and looking out over the plain and seeing these once vibrant cities with billowing smoke and saying, God must have done that. I cannot follow such a destructive God because how can it be that there's a city where there are no survivors? How can we imagine a city so awful that it must be totally destroyed? So God has to tell him, what he's going to do in advance so that Abraham with his negotiation, whatever we want to call it, the bargaining with God comes to understand that in fact, Sodom and Gomorrah is that bad. And he stops at 10 because what's left now is Abraham's family and God is going to provide a rescue for them. Now, the other piece that I think is important to recognize is that Abraham's form of justice seems to be that you don't punish the guilty in order to save the innocent. Abraham is speaking about collateral damage, which we know from all sorts of aspects of modern life, that he wants no one to be destroyed in order to save as many as 50 righteous people, as few as, as 10. And that also is untenable from a point of view of justice. I think we want to live in a world where people who do wrong are appropriately punished. And what Abraham offers is not that world. So in fact, what we're left at the end of the story is with the transcendent God administering justice in a way that Abraham, his trusted servant, can understand. So, so I, I want to get uh, your thoughts on this, uh, Jeremy. If you have any concurring or rebutting thoughts on... on uh, I, I have... Uh, what, what do they what do they say when they uh, like when you write in the Supreme Court uh, a concurrence a, a concurrence for you know, a different set of reasons I, I yes I, I do think the um, I, I do think that that Barry is correct to say that the that the quick reading that lots of people give especially attractive I think to Jews in the 20th century after the Shoah is this human insistence that Abraham you know, makes to God, will the judge of all the earth not do justly? What, what, 
that, that kind of grabbing God by the lapels and saying, what's the matter with you, seems very appealing to a contemporary, uh, contemporary 20th and 21st century Jew. Um, how, and I agree with Barry that that's, that's a little bit off, although I'm, I think it's a little less off than he thinks it is, because I do think that this is about Abraham's education, but I think part of Abraham's education is the process of discovering um, the, the moral valence of ho holding God to mishpat, of appropriate, appropriate justice. So God has said just to, to Abraham, said about Abraham, just before um, this scene, uh, in explaining why it is that God has made this brief with the people, I, with, with this, this family. Uh, Abraham is, is growing into this great people, the and all the world's peoples will be blessed by him. I know him, I have singled him out so that he will uh, command his subsequent generations and his household. They will keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice. God, it seems to me, is stressing that Abraham has the capacity to be a covenantal partner in a just world. So I think God is inviting Abraham to ask about this. Abraham begins by saying, you know, well, what if... First of all, it begins quite boldly. Tzadikim Rasha. Are you gonna Are you gonna wipe away the, the righteous? He doesn't. You know, there's no introduction to that. He just blurts out, "You know, wipe, wipe away the righteous with the wicked." And by starting with fifty and forty five, forty thirty twenty ten, he he is asking what I think is a really important question. Um, isn't there um, a, a a kernel of renewal in each of these? numbers. The, the, there are supposed to be five boroughs, so to speak, of Sodom, uh, just like the city where I live in, five boroughs. Uh, and so 50, 50 is, is like a minion in each borough, or 45 is like almost a minion in each borough, or 40 is like a minion in four of the boroughs, or three or two, or can't it just be a minion? Because if there is, then you can't, God, you can't give up on these people. And I find that just really stirring, even though it's 100% correct what Barry said, that God has a plan for rescuing the tiny number of individuals who are worth saving and destroying the rest when the conclusion has been reached that there is no hope for renewal. But I love the fact that God is asking Abraham, the covenantal partner, to insist that every possible avenue is explored, whether or not there is a reason to have some faith and a second chance and and an opportunity to to maybe like make something good make some make something promising out of all of the of the bad stuff that has gone on in stone all right so let, let me let me let me jump on on one issue which is and 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 have you do the exercise here for me and interpret the verse because jeremy quoted the which is chapter 18 verse 18 uh which which then says you know the, uh, that that Abraham, I've singled him out that he may instruct his children and his posterity to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is just and right. Prior to that, verse seventeen, I find verse seventeen to be the the really gorgeous verse here. Adonai Amar, God says, Am I going to hide? 
from Abraham, what I'm going to do. In other words, that, that is the opening of this relationship. That is, and, and, and I'm going to read the story. I'm going to present here, I guess, that this is not a story only about, you know, what happens to this, these two cities. And this is a story about the relationship between God and Abraham. But and, it's also a story about the confrontation with evil which is later going to be picked up by Sefer Devarim. In Sefer Devarim, we read over and over again, you have to destroy the evil in your midst. So, and Sodom, so, one, one second, yeah, yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah have to be destroyed. And Abraham, if he is going to believe in the God of justice, has to accept that that can be justice. I agree with you about the opening, and it is a relationship. That's why we have the conversation in the first place, and I think you made a very important point. But the substance of this conversation is about evil, and sometimes evil has to be destroyed. And, you know, I guess part of the counterpoint to this story is the buffoonery associated with Lot. So nothing really bad happens with Lot, although his choices of behavior we find morally reprehensible. Um, but no one dies, right? We don't know. He's not really punished for his actions. You know, he wants to offer his daughters to the townspeople to do with them what they will in order to protect his reputation as a hospitable host. Um, he's going to father two kindred nations of the Israelites with his daughters. Um, so, so hold off on that. I just want to get Jeremy's reaction to the relationship thing. I mean, how do you see this? I give me your 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 little drash on Hamechase Ani Abraham. Am I going to hide anything from him? Well, uh, uh, fortunately, God God never hides from us anything. God always reveals to us exactly what's going not on. True, not true. Not no, true. No, of course, of course, not true. I'm being kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, of course, not true. God typically, is, God is Hamechase, not. not so there's. There's tremendous irony here. Yes, yes. I, so, so I'm going to just repeat what I said before. I think that God is inviting Abraham in to this conversation, and there's almost a little bit of humor in, hmm, shall I hide? Let's let's talk about this. By the way, uh, our listeners will, will perhaps perhaps know this already. Um, uh, th there's a, an amazing, uh, I'm sure, I, I don't remember where this actually is, is, is in Chazal, but it's quoted in Rashi, um, the Abraham Odeno Medlifnaadunai, that Abraham yeah. is still standing before God at, 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 after he's moved the um, he's moved the angels along, and Abraham is still standing before God to uh, to to uh, um, have this conversation. The Rashi says that this is one of the examples of of the Tikkun Sofrim, the number of passages where the Bible itself changed the language to uh from from quote unquote what 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 god wrote to something that sounds better because it, the the torah is kind of that the angels moved along left abraham behind and the logical thing to say is that god was still standing before abraham but it was seen to be uh not derech eretz to say that god was waiting before the person so so the the, the moshe or the sofrim or whoever it was changed it to say that Abraham is still standing before God. But if it's the quote-unquote original, not the sanitized one, then it even works better to say that God is still hanging around Abraham 
wanting to engage in this conversation about the destruction, even if Barry's correct, that, that, that the, the horrible and tragic elements of destroying evil, God, does, God is not leaving Abraham alone, and God wants Abraham to be in part of this, this covenantal partner conversation. So I, th that's where I would go with this, which is that, that God likes a good fight. God likes a good argument. God likes a good debate. And, and here, in the invitation that, to Abraham for this debate is Hamichasani Abraham, and which, which, which says, ironically, of course, lots of things are hidden from the, the, the destination of his journey was hidden from, the destination from, of the journey for the Akedah is hidden from. There's tons of things that God hides from Abraham, of course. But I, it's, I want to engage with him. I want, I want to see what will happen when he engages with me. And I think, Barry, your point is, is, is really, a, 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 I think, for me, a new way of thinking uh, about this text, which is saying that, that Abraham has to be the kind of person that can navigate a world in which this kind of evil catastrophe exists and then figure out how God is a part of that world. I think that that's, that's, there's, there's part of that that's going on here. God is a God that is just, and God meets out punishment. And in this punishment, there are a lot of people who suffer. And, uh, and how you reconcile with that is, is really one of the great questions of, of, our, of our theology. It's, it's hard not to, it's, it's hard, there, there are other biblical passages, which, you know, the Bible, if, if you, if you want to, um, you know, study Torah. If you want to study biblical narrative, it's, it's good. It's good to know the whole Tanakh. But one of the things that has to come in, in, in you know, ringing in your ears is the mitzvah ir hanidachat. Yeah. You know, the the commandment that when a city in in Deuteronomy, you know, when you come into the land and your city is given over to idolatry, um, the city has to entirely be destroyed. And all the property is burned up, and it should be a tel olam. It should be a you know just like a, an eternal ruin. And um, on the one hand, you, you find the rabbis saying, "Never happened. Never will happen." If there was even one mezuzah left in the city, that um, you know that that it wouldn't have been done. But I think pshat um, Deuteronomy seems to envision that the landscape of Israel will be dotted with destruction. Like the landscape will be dotted with these tragedies, and while I certainly hope that there would would not be the case, like can, can you, there is something about biblical religion which resonates with the idea of of our failures and the ways that human societies can turn evil, like visible on on a scarred landscape. And the Deuteronomy also talks about the people. You know, if you if you guys break the covenant, the destruction that will be foisted upon you. People will walk by, and it will be like stone v'amorah, and they will say, "Oh my God, what what do these terrible people do?" So I, I think the Bible not likes in the sense of relishes, but finds it meaningful to think that that the landscape can sometimes be dotted with these these exactly. failures. So I would add two things here: that the Hamechasa, when God says that, shall I hide this from Abraham? What he's in effect saying, he doesn't want Abraham to look away. If he did not reveal this to Abraham, the temptation would be, ugh, I, I can't look at this, and you have to confront it. But the other thing that your remark suggests, Jeremy, is that we often forget the, the tragedy of the opening chapters of Breshit. The world is destroyed. 
because of the bad behavior of human beings. And there's this winnowing process. We now have Avraham, who's going to carry God's uh, uh, burden, as it were. And it's a world that's fraught with danger. That destruction and death never goes away. You have to be eternally vigilant. So Avraham, of course, is not going to make it to the book of Devarim, although I guess he's mentioned once or twice. But his descendants will, and they have to recognize this tragic dimension to life and deal with it. Do you want to take us into the, the, the moment, the story that Malachim come to, to start? So, uh, you know, I don't want to give trigger warnings here, but, but there, there, there's, some, there's some, it's some tough going here. By Avoshne Malachim Sodoma, chapter 19. And tell us what happens there, Barry Chesler. So the angels make their way to the home of Lot, who wants to offer them what we call Middle Eastern hospitality, although rabbis make a distinction between the hospitality that Lot offers and the hospitality that Avraham offers, which is far superior. Avraham promises a little and delivers a lot. Lot, perhaps the opposite. And immediately after he welcomes the guests into his home, the townspeople come and want the men for their own designs. I guess that's the... Uh, Where are those men? Right, so bring them, out. bring them out and let's have at them, I guess. It's the polite way of looking at it. Okay. And load is rather flummoxed because the principle of hospitality is one of the great principles of, of the Middle East. And he can only say that he has virgin daughters that would make a nice substitute. Okay. And at that point, the angels take matters into their own hand. They strike through some uh, miraculous intervention, the townspeople with blindness, and they cannot get what they're after. And then, the, if I remember correctly, the next thing that's going to happen is the cities are going to actually be destroyed. Right. And then we're going to follow the story with the daughters. The daughters that Lo was so willing to give up to the townspeople, he, in fact, is going to sleep with right. under the cover of drunkenness, I guess, recalling his ancestor Noah, and um, father two great nations who are... Uh, neighbors of B'nai Israel through, throughout the Tanakh, Ammon and Moab. You know, I, I, I want to say just a couple of things about this is, that, again, in the category of, um, you know, the, the Tanakh repeats its stories. So, so we, we tend not, probably, probably our listeners uh, haven't, you know, been to the end of the book of Judges, but one of the I would say the worst passage in the whole Tanakh um, is the story of the rape of the of the concubine in Giva, the Pelegish Begiva story, and uh, and it's it's the same story that there is a, a a man traveling with his concubine and he throws her out to the mob for for a brutal gang rape and she's uh, ultimately unlike the daughters not saved by an angel. And, uh, and in, it's just a heartbreaking story that she's sort of crawling um, away and she ultimately expires with her fingers on the threshold of the house. 
and the, the behavior is so, 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 so terrible, um, the people in Giva and the tribe of Binyamin are so awful that it triggers a civil war, all the other tribes against Binyamin. So in the Tanakh, you know, this story of Lot and the Stomites are just totally wretched, but the, 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 the man in the Giva story and, and Lot in this story, they're pretty wretched. And this, the wretchedness is just, is, is, it's just horrifying. Um, and I, I, I think it's, I think that, that to gather the full measure of what the Torah is saying is to, to read it in conversation with the Pilegish Begiva story, you understand that this is a society destroying kind of brutality. And that sort of justifies um, both the, the terrible judgment on Lot and the terrible judgment on, on the Stomites as well. Right. So Jeremy, what you're referring to is, uh, I think it's chapter 18, 19 in, in the book of Judges, uh, early on in the history of Israel. And, and again, the, the, the cardinal sin that, that, is, that happens there is the, that this man and his concubine have no place to, to go. They're, they're, they are uh, simply not welcomed into anybody's house. And that seems to be the, the moment that triggers everything because uh, another person says, well, come to my house. And then, and then they, they, they go after her and, and all the things that you described that take place. Um, and, and that just tells us that, that the Torah obviously is in dialogue with different texts here. Um, and that I, I'm trying to go back to one idea, which is, so in the end, Lot is Abraham's nephew. Lot is Abraham's his adopted brother, basically. Um, and Abraham has had responsibility for Lot from Lech Lecha, through the, the wars of the five kings and the four kings. He, re he, he redeems Lot, and he tries to rescue Lot at this point also. And then what we're left with is, is that, that strange story with Ammon, the birth of Ammon and Moab. What, what do you think the Torah is trying to tell us here about the relationship between what will later become Israel and those two neighboring nations? And maybe you can take us into the future, which is in Bamibar, you know, what happens with Ammon and Moab? And, and what is the relationship between these neighboring peoples, Israel, Ammon, and Moab? Jeremy? Or... Uh, so so the, the Lot and his daughters escaped the smoking city. Uh, Mrs. Lot famously can't, can't quite leave behind her hometown and looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. But Lot and the two daughters run to the mountains. The devastation seems global. Really, it's like not even so bad. It's just two cities, but um, they, they think that the devastation seems global. They think that they are like Noah. Um, uh, you know, the lone escapees from a, from a apocalypse. And so the story is that the two daughters um, say, oh, there's no more humanity. We, we better we better have children and our father is the only male left. So they get him drunk on successive nights, the first, the older than the younger, and they are impregnated and, and they have the, the families of Moab, uh, which is a punch that she's, that the, that family is from the father and Amon, the, the, of my people. And it's obviously a slam. It's like a dirty joke um, uh, on the origin of Israel's rival people from Across the, um, the across the Jordan River and in, in what is today Jordan, 
uh, Moab and and Amman and Jordan. These are the uh, these are the um, the cities that the rival people are 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 holding, and they will be they will be uh, you know rivals around the story of of Bilam, and they will they will uh, seduce the Israelites into another kind of orgiastic sexual violation. Uh, I think there's so much interesting in this story. First of all, because of because of and Barry said something beforehand, before we got on the call, I'll let him develop this a little bit about the midah connected midah, the measure for measure element. But um, the story of Lot feigning drunkenness while having this incestual moment, I, I almost think that, I almost think that, that there's something kind of wise about um, the Torah saying, you know about abuse like people blaming it on drunkenness or blaming it on on some sort of substance abuse like come on that's a, a, that's complete completely bogus there's no chance on earth that lot is so is so drunk that he doesn't know what's going on and yet he sort of allows himself into the this this sexual violation story um, well, so the question the girl, then is why is it because the, the two girls in the story i want to say a little, I think the Torah is 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 kind to them, because um, after the Noah story, the world does have to be repopulated, and I think that the daughters are presented as as being panicky and desperate, and having a good impulse to to have more children, have the like the, the 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 life go on. But I think that Lot is portrayed as as just awful. So it raises an interesting question: Why is Lot consent to this? Is it because he agrees with the daughters that the world is completely destroyed and there's nothing left? Or is he um, unable to control his physical desires, um, which would only make him worse rather than better? So I think at the end we're left, is there anything redemptive about Lot? And it's hard to say that. But what I wanted to suggest is that the story has a comic element to it, I think. It's... Um, you know, from the perception of the Israelites, the Moabites and Ammonites are the results of inbreeding. And so it's a way of laughing at them. Just like in modern culture, we have regions of countries that are associated with inbreeding, and they become the laughing stock of those countries. You know, they're also. I want to just take an issue with you and, and say, you know, of course, I, I don't have any experience. And, 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 I have read too many, too many accounts of people blocking out and having horrible sexual things happen to them and waking up and not knowing where they are. I mean, this is, this is part of our, this is in our landscape. This is, you can read, you know, plenty of accounts in, in popular, you know, in the New York times and magazines of that very episode where someone goes to a party, drinks, gets drunk, gets too drunk, blacks out, wakes up in someone's apartment, doesn't know where he or she is, and then suddenly realizes that something has happened. So not that I want to come to Lot's defense here, although, you know. You do. I, I do. Only because he there's that brotherly thing going on here that Abraham has a tremendous sense of fidelity, and, and he is the, the hap, you know, the, this, the, the, the shmagegi. He's, he's, Lot so, is just a, a hapless character. 
again, I think it's part of the winnowing process. So Lo represents Avraham's sibling. Avraham will have two sons, one of whom is going to be cut off. And Yitzchak will have two sons, one of whom is going to be cut off. Because this process of developing God's people requires refinement. And, you know, the, the story, the rabbis make a big deal of the greatness of Yaakov being that all of his children remained within the fold, um, unlike his father and grandfather. And, you know, I, again, I look at it as a kind of reminder that um, that task of refinement is what ultimately mitzvot are about as well. That it's not only our past that is refined, but we have to constantly be in an act of refining ourselves. Jeremy, I have a final word on this. Uh, I, I think the winnowing thing is correct. I, I think that Lot is is simply portrayed as you know the the Rambam says uh, that you are always affected by the people you live among. You know, culture rubs off on you. And what we didn't quite get, we the conversation diverted. Barry, Barry was going to say the midah connected midah thing that Lot tries to give away the daughters to sexual violation, tries unsuccessfully. The malachim save him from giving away the daughters to sexual violation, but he can't. He can't completely avoid it. He ultimately brings himself into the daughter's sexual violation. Um, I think that he's he's a sodomite. He's become a sodomite. He could have chosen to live with Abraham. He could have chosen to be part of this family. And he's chosen the opposite, and that's why he has to be peeled away. So let me let me end with this though, which is the very next verse in the, in chapter twenty, Vayisa Misham Abraham, and and I get the sense after our conversation, wow, we just want to kind of move on. We move on from that. We're moving on. It's not only he's Vayisa Misham, he leaves there. He leaves all of that behind him, all of that story, all that relationship, that that sordid affair, that. Uh, destruction, that that involvement, and he's going. And, and I guess we're putting the story behind us now as we come to well, the I just want to add, you, you raise an interesting connection because Lod originally picks Sodom and Gomorrah because it's as well-watered as Egypt, yeah. which they had just come from, which is the past from that point of view. Beautiful. Abraham is always going towards the future. Lovely. And that's a good place to, to put the bow on our, our talk for going towards the future. What we're going to have in the future. Oh, I love this next part. The marriage of Isaac and Rebecca. Such a romantic story. Our great character. And you will be with us. Join us next week. We say to you, Shabbat Shalom. We'll see you again on Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.